This is the Hot Fish series from the University of Sterling. Hello and welcome to the Hot Fish podcast series. Today I'm talking to John Bostock, Warren Turner and Amaya Albalat about their recent paper, Mixed Sex Tilapia Can Perform Competitively with Monosex Stocks in Cage Production. John Bostock is a research fellow in the Institute of Aquaculture and lead author on the paper. So John, what's the background to this work? Tilapia is one of the most important aquaculture species, contributing to food security and economic development throughout the tropics. For practical and economic reasons, hatchlings commonly receive a short period of hormone treatment to produce all male stocks for grow-out, whilst the quantities involved are very small and result in no detectable increase in hormone levels in harvested fish, there are some regulatory barriers and ongoing concerns on grounds of welfare, staff health and safety or environmental effects. As there have been genetic gains in the strains used in aquaculture, together with changes in feeds and culture systems, the team set out to revisit the need for using sex-reversed fry. The potential alternative strategy using mixed sex production was therefore examined through a practical growth trial at Nam Sai Farms in Thailand and economic modelling and nutritional research at the Institute of Aquaculture. The trials also facilitated an MSc student project which was carried out by Dorcas Mensa from Ghana, supporting valuable transfer of knowledge from Asia to Africa. So Warren, you are the MD of Nam Sai Farms in, in Thailand. How were the trials set up? We decided to compare the growth of mixed sex tilapia against monosex tilapia in cages. Uh, the main re reason for this is that in cages the density of fish is high and uh, the incidence of breeding would expect to be quite low and even if there was breeding the eggs would be lost through the bottom of the cage. Namsai's big name strain was chosen as at the time it was our fastest growing strain of Nile tilapia and preferred by cage farmers for this reason. We decided to locate our cages in the Bampapong River in front of one of our farms. Uh, the reason is that um, cage culture in rivers is a common method of raising tilapia worldwide. What was the reason for stocking the mixed sex fish at double density and then removing them at different rates? Female fish grow more slowly than male fish and are less efficient at producing meat. So we decided in two of the treatments to stock twice the density of fish, assuming that if the sexual ratio was one male to one female, after removing the females we would have the same number of male fish as in the monosex treatment. Uh, during the start of the trial, when, when the fish are quite small, we would expect that the, the impact from stocking twice as many fish would be very, very small and have uh, very little impact on the, on the growth of fish to market size. Okay, so what were the headline results? The best growth was observed in the all-male tilapia cages, which we would expect. However, the, the growth rate in the mixed sex culture was not that far away and within the margins of experimental error. The growth of females was substantially lower, as might be expected, which reduced the, over, the harvest biomass in the standard mixed sex population. But in the treatments with double stocking, when we removed the females, we found this was very effective and as expected to provide a higher overall yield of fish, particularly where removal was not started until week eight. Amaya, you're a senior lecturer at the Institute of Aquaculture and were involved in supervising the MSc student work. 
Dorcas particularly focused on measuring health indicators and the nutritional value the fish produce. What were the main findings from her analysis? Thanks, Dave. Yes, uh, it is well known uh, by farmers and the academic community that tilapia males are typically preferred due to their faster growth, higher survival and the better food conversion rates. Our results show that actually um, cages where the females have been graded out at four and eight weeks showed very similar uh, results in terms of uh, the weight at harvest, the survival and the food conversion rate when compared to the almond treated fish. We also did not see any differences at harvest on the field yield, which is important, and also the nutritional composition, the nutritional value of the fillets. So very much from a production perspective, the removal of the females was really a successful strategy and did not detrimentally affect the performance and the fillet nutritional quality of the fish at harvest. Overall then, the trial showed that by using mixed sex fry, and overstocking at the start of the grow-out period, and then with subsequent partial harvests of the females, there was no significant compromise to male growth. Moreover, there was an additional harvest of these smaller female fish. However, that wasn't the end of the analysis, John. Can you pick up on the story again? Yes, Stuart Bunting, a sustainability and natural resources expert and I, developed a financial model of a typical enterprise which enabled the profitability and overall financial returns between the different strategies to be compared. This showed that the production of monosex fish was the most profitable strategy given market prices in Thailand. However, if an 8% premium can be obtained for non-hormone treated fish, then a mixed sex strategy could give equivalent financial results. Although the mixed sex strategies resulted in greater overall production from each cage, the extra costs incurred in fry and feed to double the stocking density for even four or eight weeks would not be recouped through the sale of the relatively small sized fish. The market price of small fish is usually lower per kilogram than large fish, particularly in Thailand, so harvesting at a smaller size means that the cost of inputs is higher than the value that can be realised. Another route to profitability might be for the small females to be sold for potential brood stock as these can command much higher prices. However, the demand for these is limited and may be constrained by biosecurity concerns. Ah, so we can see why this strategy hasn't proved attractive to producers in Thailand, but might it prove more interesting elsewhere? Yes, we can see this being more interesting for larger commercial producers that are targeting more sophisticated urban or international markets sensitive to messaging on production methods particularly if producing in areas where smaller female fish could find a ready market. For instance, prices per kilogram for small tilapia in African countries can be double that found in Asia. For a large company, supplying local rural markets, as well as urban and international markets, could be important for future social licence. Thank you, John, Warren and Amaya, for sharing these findings with us. I know there's already follow-up work on this going on in Kenya, but we'll leave that for another podcast. It only leaves me to thank Namsai Farm, Sainsbury's and Growbreast Group Limited for their financial support and to you for listening in. Until next time, goodbye. This podcast has been produced at the University of Stirling's Institute of Aquaculture with financial assistance from the Belmont Forum on Climate and Health. Thank you for listening.